Hello, you're listening to the Coffee and Books podcast. We're going to jump right into it here. This book is called The Secret War Against the Jews. Uh, Today's book is about the history of Western espionage against the Jewish people, particularly how uh, countries such as the United States, Great Britain, France, and other countries eventually betrayed and backstabbed Israel, or what would become eventually Israel and Jewish people and Jewish movements. Now, before we begin, I just want to say I'm not an expert on this type of relations. This book was written in the 1990s, just after the end of the Cold War, so it's old and is not considered, I would say, relevant history. It's hard to verify many of the facts in here because a lot of those people are A, deceased now, and B, because any of that information is pretty much not accessible to the public. So we're going to have to take for what they say here as fact. Um, It's interesting either way. Hopefully you guys can formulate your own opinion. Uh, So, hey, if you're new here, my name is Scott. I like to review different coffee and books. Uh, So this book is very big. We're going to divide it into three parts. So this is part one. It's considered the first section is called The Age of Bigotry. That's where we're going to begin. So for those of you who know, I am Jewish, as I've mentioned before. Uh, This particular history, we're not going to cover the history of anti-Semitism, but it really starts a story when the British controlled Palestine, meaning in particular that is the area of when Jewish people were under the control of Great Britain. So, in the first part of our story, we're going to talk about a quote, which I'm going to give now at the beginning of every book or section that I think accurately sums up the title and why I like it. All right, favorite quote of the book. Fuck the Jews. They won't vote for us anyway. This is said by James Baker, former Secretary of State of the United States. So starting in the 1900s, we cover how Western espionage had been used against Jewish movements, people, and governments. In the early part of the 20th century, there was a Saudi Arabian king, Ibn Saud, who used his extremist Wahhabi sect as a logical political extension of religion to prop up his tribal dictatorship. The man was put on the throne by a British and American agent, Jack Philby and Alan Dules. Western oil companies were led to partner with Saudi Arabia through these men who had a mutual interest and connection. But it was actually Philby and the Saud's political and philosophical allegiance to Nazi Germany that eventually caused great profit for all three of those groups of people. Um, They were all united in their hatred against the Jewish people, and they, all three groups waged a relentless campaign of sabotage against the Zionists and eventually what would be Israel. Philby played uh, everyone against one another, so we're going to start to get into that area in chapter one. But in particular, we're still unsure of exactly what Philby's side, who he was on, what he was really doing. He was a double agent. And he was considered to have gone native, meaning that Philby was eventually partnered with Ibn Saud in the Middle East, which we'll talk about in a second. And he has decided that he would rather serve Ibn Saud and Saudi Arabia rather than serve the people who are United Kingdom, meaning he betrayed the United Kingdom and eventually the U.S. Philby like I said, played everyone against one another, used his connections to make a ton of money through oil companies, used this as a weapon to shape foreign policy. He pretended to befriend Jewish leaders while betraying them and their interests. He particularly had the policy of no Jews in Palestine, otherwise no oil for the West. 
It was Alan Duels who was the one who delivered on the blackmail, meaning he's the one who threatened the oil suppliers during their most desperate stage of World War II. When America was beginning to go to war and trying to catch up in the race against in World War II, it was Duels who had held the key to the Saudi Arabian government, and in particular the oil companies, which he was heavily invested in. But he used that to shape the policy, meaning that he did not want any of those groups to have power. He promised the sun, the moon, and the stars to Palestinians, Zionists, Arabs, pretty much anyone who he could, just so he could make as much money as possible. Uh, Through the British, he was slowly able to restrict immigration into Palestine, and like I said, the most terrible part about Alan Duels, and in particular all three of these men, is that they could have done something to prevent the Holocaust, or at at least let more people meaning innocent Jewish civilians, into their homeland, meaning Palestine, or into the United States, or into any allied territory. But many of the allied territories refused to do this, because these men controlled the diplomacy and the keys to everything. And you might say to yourself, well, how in the world is this possible? Doesn't the United States have FDR? Didn't you know Great Britain have you know a king? and the queen, and people who are in power who could change this. And you might be asking yourself, why did this happen? Well, we'll get into all that eventually. But for now, let's just say that these men controlled the puppet strings, and they're the ones who prevented Jewish people from actually emigrating safely to other countries. Chapter 1. Philby. Philby was dismissed from MI6 because of sexual misconduct. You see... The chapter starts off with explaining that Philby was actually bisexual, and this was used against him. And as a result of this, he hated and resented the British government for doing this to him. Eventually, he'd be transferred to Transjordan, which is basically in the Middle East where it's modern-day Jordan and Israel and eventually Saudi Arabia. As I mentioned, he partnered with Ibn Saud, a tribal leader, decided to make this man a king, and... He went native, meaning again, he joined forces with this man and refused to cooperate with British authorities on what they wanted. So, his son became a communist spy. His son was a double agent as well and worked for the Russians primarily. The Russians, therefore Stalin, knew everything that Ibn Saud was doing, including selling oil uh, to you know the Nazis as well as the Allies, it was a very complicated ordeal. But in effect, the book, according to these sources, say that the real first modern country to use its intelligence services against the Jewish people was Great Britain. Uh, the heroic resistance of the Jewish people had actually the opposite intended effect, meaning that the more the British tried to suppress Zionist movements and eventually uh, is, you know, what would become Israeli independence, it actually led to more and more people joining the fight against British Palestine before uh, World War II. But eventually a public backlash occurred against the anti-Semitism that was occurring in the British government, and a Jewish man, Herbert Samuel, was appointed governor of Palestine. Soon, soon him and Philby would meet and become enemies. Uh, like I said, British intelligence prior to the World War II sponsored Arab terrorism, 
and terrorist groups, protests, uh, and propaganda against the Jewish people. Philby was put in charge of the country, like I said, Transjordan, but eventually he would resign from this post because he did not think he could work with Zionists or Jewish people. Keep in mind, Philby was abandoning his family and abandoning his country, and he would also abuse other people and had a very, very dark past as well. Um, But it was his intelligence that created the modern-day kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And basically, I like to point this out now, is that Saudi Arabia was in in essence created by a renegade spy. That's the reason why it was created. Between 1925 and 1930, he was a double agent, eventually becoming Muslim, and then he took this right to eventually use the royal concubines. In effect, he was a very loyal man to the Saudi government. Um, He even underwent circumcision, so that just shows you the determination of this person to eventually do all the things that he needed to do uh, to be a part of this clique. Um, His son openly opposed him, like I said, spied on him, Um, and eventually it was his son that discovered the plot that Philby had used to sell oil to Spain, and then Spain would sell that oil to Nazi Germany. So in essence, Saudi Arabia was selling oil to both the Allies and the Axis powers. Um, And that was all of Chapter 1. Chapter 2. Jack Philby recruited Alan Duels in the 1920s as an agent to influence American policy against the Jewish homeland, and then as a secret partner in the development of Saudi oil. With Duel's help, investment capital was put into Nazi Germany and gave rise to Hitler. You see, after World War I, uh, many corporations in, in the United States and in Western countries heavily invested in Germany. And while many of us don't want to admit this, many people had a very big investment in Germany prior to World War II. And many people did not want Hitler and the United States to go to war. And also, some of those people were very much also pro-Hitler, meaning they invested heavily in Nazi Germany. So keep in mind, it was in many people's best interests, such as Alan Duell's, to make a profit from this. Um, In both the United States and the United Kingdom, Jewish people were considered an obstacle to the smooth flow of oil. The sad truth is, unfortunately, that Jewish people at this point in time in history were often seen as tools either used for blackmail or part of a government's attempt to obtain access to oil at this time period. Um, It's unfortunate because there was a lot that could have been done for humanitarian aid or a lot of people could have been, hopefully had been saved from the Holocaust, but no allied country willingly wanted to let Jewish people into their territories. So keep that in mind as well. During the, ni- during his, the Holocaust, and as early as 1941, the Allies had actually planned to rescue the operation, but decided they would not go through with it. They continued to allow Hitler to do what he needed to do because they feared a mass exodus of Jews to their territory. The Allies desperately hid the Holocaust as much as possible from the public until the war was over. This is because, again, they did not wish Jewish people to come to their territories. And uh, that was chapter 2.
Chapter 3. Duels is compared to the economic version of Benedict Arnold. Duels is basically a wolf of Wall Street. He is buying other corporations, using blackmail, doing everything he can to control and shape policy in the United States as well as and abroad. Um, in 1930s, Duels established interlocking financial networks amongst major Nazi corporations, American oil men, and in the Middle East, including Saudi Arabia. Duels led the early American and British investors that funded the early Nazi party and continued to con continue business with the Nazis even during World War II. This information was not made public until many years later after the war. So as a result, keep in mind that many American investors had been, continued to do business with a country that we were at war with. It would be considered traitors today. Uh, during the war, Duel's client, Standard Oil, blackmailed the Allies with the threat of withholding oil, as I mentioned before. After the war, Duel's evaded the Allied security and directed the smuggling of Nazi money back, quote-unquote, to its Western clients. Duel's invested in the company Farbrun, which had actually held the patent that was for the gas that was used, and also used slave labor in a lot of the corporations that were invested in. Now, FDR, as I mentioned before, had met Ibn Saud and failed to convince him to let Jewish people immigrate to Palestine. It was hypocritical because the Allies weren't allowing many people into their, ter their territory as well, but they particularly wanted Jewish people to go to Palestine, a.k.a. what would eventually be Israel. Of course, Ibn Saud said no, and the negotiations continued on throughout the rest of FDR's life. The U.S. had to choose between helping Jewish people in Palestine or oil. They chose oil. I cannot stress that enough that many Western countries, even to this day, are heavily dependent upon oil, and as a result, that influences and shapes their foreign policy. The U.S. was no different at that time. Uh, during World War II, the British monitored Americans who were pro-Nazi and assassinated them such as William Rhodes Davis, as an example. So, again, many pro-elements that were pro-Nazi in the British government and in the United States government, the British apparently authorized missions to assassinate people in the United States as well who were considered pro-Nazi. And I just thought that was flooring. Like, the Allies fighting other Allies? Never saw that coming. Okay. Uh, William Rhodes Davis's official cause of death is considered heart failure, but his biography hints, or his biographer hinted at foul play. Vice President Wallace, during FDR's second term, was also leaking information to the Swiss uh, governments, which held much of the Nazi uh, currency that was stolen from Jews, um, and the reason why Vice President Wallace was passing this information on to the Swiss was so that people such as Alan Duels would not be caught. This is believed to be the reason why Vice President Wallace was dropped in favor of Harry Truman during FDR's third term in office. Chapter 4. The Vatican was laundering money for the Nazis. Uh, plain and simple, the Vatican had the most reach amongst all the major... Uh, religions at that time in Europe, and 
were basically everywhere, and as a result, they were easily able to launder money for the Nazis, even though they were quote-unquote neutral. Italy was a fascist territory and therefore had easy access to the Nazis. People in England and the USA betrayed Roosevelt and Stalin to save their assets from coming into Soviet hands. Again, people worried after World War II that many of their assets would end up in Soviet-controlled uh, territory, which is some of what happened. However, there was actually a plan to unite Germany again and use it as a way to fight against uh, the Soviets in case of uh, a global war again. Uh, there was a peace deal that the Vatican used to try to get everyone to fight against the godless people, a.k.a. the communists. Truman was pro-Zionist, but was misled by people who stood to make money off of World War II, which is a great feeling to know that you know Truman was pro-Zionist. However, like I said, he was often misled by his own cabinet and government so that he could not impact what was going on in the Middle East. No American businessman was ever charged with treason, even though there was massive amounts of evidence to suggest that many Americans were heavily, you know, Nazified or invested money in corporations that killed American soldiers, um, innocent people such as Jewish people, etc. And some of those Americans also helped smuggle Nazis into the U.S. Um, most evidently, there's also President George Bush Sr., allowed James Engleton to alter CIA records of his involvement with smuggling Nazis into the USA. It is believed that Bush, who was in charge of the CIA at the time in the 70s, allowed James Engleton to do this uh, because even though Engleton did not have clearance, it is believed that it would be better for the truth to be covered up, that people such as Engleton and Bush knew the truth, which was that there were many Nazis living in the United States and that the Republican Party's base of power was actively recruiting, in particular, uh, throughout the decades, uh, Nazi support, or a.k.a. the extreme right. People in the Republican Party actively, like I said, recruiting uh, people who were ethnically Eastern European. Uh, they were recruiting people who were uh, pro-sympathetic to the Nazi cause. Uh, this continued in one way or another until the 1990s. At least that's when this book was written, so I imagine I'd have a few things to say about today as well. Um, innocent people who were close to discovering the truth, such as the Vatican laundering money, or any of the information released so far from this book were often treated poorly, um, they were transferred to another area, or they might have had their lives ruined, or they might have been killed. Uh, there's multiple stories here of people who unfortunately were shamed or had their reputation tarnished because they and then, you know, somehow stumbled upon a truth or a corner of a truth. And uh, that's all of the Age of Bigotry so far, covering the introduction into World War II, into, you know, the start of the Cold War. I don't know what's going to happen from here, but I imagine all the things that I mentioned in this podcast are pretty controversial. So hope all of you enjoyed what I've read so far. Um, it's a lot of information in this book, so we'll see what happens. All right, thank you again for listening. 
please remember to rate and review this podcast. Um, again, my opinion on this topic is that I like learning about history. I'd like to learn more. Uh, those are all my notes that I was reading while I was doing this podcast. Remember, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at scott, S-C-O-T-T, Bernstein16 at yahoo.com. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.